Beyond the Box 36, Money Matters or Dollars and Cents. My son-in-law has no problem asking questions, even good questions, which, of course, are the best. The question here he asks is, how can we wisely position ourselves for the future when it comes to finances? Excellent question, not just good, and especially because of the mixed financial report cards coming out of the United States, United Kingdom, Australia, Canada, indeed, the entire world, and especially with looming national debts. Two very important skills we should have in order to be future ready, which, by the way, is a position we are constantly emphasizing. We need to be future ready. We need to be future prepared. This is not a negative thing. It's not a dreadful thing. It's a very prudent thing. In fact, Proverbs says twice, the prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Prudence is careful preparation for the future. And so it is something we should proactively pursue, being future ready. Two areas of future readiness include time management and money management, but also faith, education are important as well faith, education, and family, those five things are part of being future ready. I'll say them again. Faith, education, family, time management, and money management. In this particular podcast of Beyond the Box, I want to focus on money matters or dollars and cents, pound and pence, euros and cents, whatever it may be. The truth is, if you cannot handle your time and your money in a productive way, if you cannot be in control of yourself and what you do with these two important resources, it's going to be a challenge to handle even the bigger things in life, like family, learning, faith, and the future. If we're going to be future ready when it comes to finance, we need to harness a very particular skill, a mindset. And I want to be honest, I was educated in the place I was born, the United States. When I look back, my education still was an education. It wasn't indoctrination. I don't remember picking up any kind of strange teachings, just common sense things, history, mathematics, science. I think it was fairly objective. But I will also comment One of the things they didn't teach me is how to handle money and time. I had absolutely no instruction in a formal sense in any level of my educational experience where they said, this is how you handle your time or how you handle your money. Where do I learn to handle time and money? I learned it in Australia, mostly on my own. But I had one person talk to me about time management and put me on the day timer diary system, which I've been on, well, for 30 years. It's helped enormously. When it comes to money matters, I had a couple of students who actually were older than myself. They knew how to handle money. They were both well off financially, and they felt in themselves independently, they didn't collaborate, to come and speak to their lecturer and tell them, tell me, that is, what I need to do for a better financial future. I'm very glad they came to me and I listened 
And boy, God bless them for it. In other words, we all need a mentor, I think, in these areas. Even if we have formal training in a classroom, having someone on the side is a real plus. And they are out there if you're willing to ask questions, listen, and learn. I found a lot of people don't ask questions, they don't listen, and hence, they don't learn. What a massive difference a change of attitude can make. So we need the following. Money matters and financial freedom. No matter how spiritual we want to be, we have to learn how to handle money. We're not to worship it, but neither are we to mishandle it either. Jesus Christ spoke more about money matters than we actually realize. Our true spirituality can often be measured by the attitude and actions we have towards money. Now, in Luke chapter 16, verse 11, Jesus says, If you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? Your goal is not to be wealthy to cater to your greeds, but to have financial freedom to meet all your needs. This means you're able to pay your bills, care for your family, enjoy the future without the stress of financial worry. I personally think that worse than a physical ailment, financial worry is depressing, distressing, and a nightmare. There are alternatives to this, and it's called financial freedom. But financial freedom does not happen by default. It's not by buying a lottery ticket and winning the jackpot. Financial freedom comes by design, being proactive, taking the right steps, being willing to implement whatever you need to do to get back on your financial feet. But before you do anything else, remember to put God first. Many godly people endorse the principle of tithing, which means giving one-tenth of your gross salary or increase to the cause of the kingdom. This practice was done by the favored patriarchs in the book of Genesis. Abraham and Jacob explicitly paid the tithe, which long preceded the law of Moses. I mean, centuries before Moses came and talked about tithing, the patriarchs were doing it. So it's not a legalistic issue. It is a faith issue, since that which was the great legacy of the patriarchs. And by the way, if you haven't noticed in Genesis, all three patriarchs were actually very, very well off. And it's no coincidence. It was related to their attitude of tithing. So the question is, why tithe? By the way, I was asked to preach on tithing years ago in the church. I was on a pastoral team. And so I did, to the best of my ability, and my colleague was actually thrilled because only three people walked out when I brought up the subject. To me, this is immaturity. I wasn't talking about it for my own personal benefit. I was talking about it because it's scriptural and because there are great things to happen. I dare say, he said, it's only three people. I mean, there's several hundred present in the meeting. So how should we actually view it? I say, Godly mature people endorse the principle of giving to God, which means tithing one-tenth. Why tithe? Because it settles the ownership question. Who owns everything? Is it you or is it God? Truth is that everything belongs to God. 
According to Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And that includes our money, to which we are merely stewards. Think about it. As long as it's my money, you carry all the burdens and all the baggage and all the worry that goes with it. This includes not having enough money or worrying what to do if the money was to disappear. I've heard of wealthy Christians who cannot sleep at night because they're worried that the money is going to sprout wings and fly away, as the book of Proverbs says it does. In verse 5 of Proverbs 23, try watching that happen. I have heard, as I said, this is not the way to live. Worrying about money is a pain. And no doubt some of you hearing this are in that situation. I'm not here to exacerbate your problem, but to give you a way out, to be future ready and to face tomorrow with confidence. Financial freedom is freedom from worry and fear. Owning the money means you own the worries that go with it. For this reason, we tithe on the gross income, not the net. Why? Because if you tithe on the net, that means that the government took out its portion before God got his. Then how can he be the first in such a scenario? In reality, your gross income is your real income, not what is left after taxes. Now, I know some people will not like that. I just ask, again, in a spirit of fair-mindedness and maturity, you check it out in Scripture and see what you come up with, especially with prayer. However, when you settle the ownership issue that everything belongs to God, then God carries all the heavy burdens and the weights, and you become free. Even if the money disappears, God has a wonderful ability to make it reappear for your benefit. Those who tithe acknowledge divine ownership. They are free from worry and fear. In the famous passage of tithing found in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 to 12, the following blessings are promised. First of all, if you tithe, there will be an open heaven. God promises to open the windows of heaven and pour out on you such a great blessing, you will not have room to receive it. You cannot outgive the Lord. Please get that in your head. You cannot outgive the Lord. I've never met anybody who encountered financial worry and fear and dearth because they gave their tithe to the Lord. I've never heard it. I've heard it through other reasons, but never because they were tithing. And usually there's other issues that caused the problem in the first place. Whatever you give to God, he will return to you manifold. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, it plainly says, Give, and it shall be given to you. Now, here's a second very important benefit of tithing. The devourer, which is normally the devil, will be in retreat. God also promises to rebuke the devourer for your sake, whether it's a broken car, malfunction of a home appliance, unexpected accident, God will either preserve you from these things, or if they still come, you will be delivered and the bills will be paid. And then a third thing is the blessing. All who practice tithing regularly attest to its blessed effects. As I said, I have never yet met a tither who regretted his or her decision to give to the Lord. There's references in Genesis 14.20 or 28.22 or Proverbs chapter 3, 9 to 10, or Luke eleven forty two, 42, 
If you think tithing is only an Old Testament practice, do you seriously think that God would want you to give less in the New Covenant than what he required in the Old? Through Jesus Christ, God gave us his very best and he gave us his all. And all he's asking for is a tenth in return. Give it a try. You only have your financial burdens to lose. Now I want to speak to you quickly about some winning principles of money management. First of all, remember the poor. Yeah, incorporate that in your money management. Because in this fallen world, we will not, and we need to get this through our heads, we will not be able to totally eliminate poverty. Because in Matthew 26, 11, Jesus says, the poor you will have with you always. But we can make life a little bit better for those who we are in a position to help. Giving to the poor is considered a loan to the Lord, and God promises to repay. Proverbs 19, verse 17. God will protect you in times of trouble. Psalm 41, verse 1. When you give to the poor. Furthermore, it is wise to be generous even before your assets grow. As somebody aptly put it, and I don't know who it was, but it's a great quote, your giving is not a debt that you owe, but a seed that you sow. And then learn how to budget. Very, very important. This is a simple and necessary practice. Failure to budget will result in needless and difficult debt. Simple budgeting means simply to add up all your income streams, wages, stock dividends, government payouts, then calculate your expenditure, and then do your best to live within your means. If your expenditure is greater than your income, then prepare for some trimming of your expenses. You'll be amazed how much money is wasted, but you'll never know that it's wasted till you do a budget. Now, in budgeting your expenses, be sure to include... Don't leave these out. Holidays, you all need a holiday. Entertainment, savings, gifts, and of course, that little bit extra for the rainy day. Add it up over the year and divide it by the number of weeks, which is 52. Do your best to keep within the budget. Now, don't hesitate to ask for help from someone who is knowledgeable on this subject. I haven't looked at this site for a long time, but you can try everydollar.com, everydollar.com, and no doubt there's other places on the internet that can help you, or ask someone, if you go to church, who can advise on budgeting. Number three, from Deuteronomy 28.8, the storehouse principle. Deuteronomy 28.8, the Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The storehouse is where you set up a savings account for your family, add to it regularly, and don't touch it except for a specific goal or for the rainy day, which is another way of saying for an emergency. Somehow, the discipline of saving attracts the blessing of God, and wonderful things happen. This simple principle is laid out in a book that was given to me and I read called, listen to the title, The Storehouse Principle, a revolutionary God idea for creating extraordinary financial stability, written by Al Jandel and Van Couch, 
Word and Spirit Resources, 2004. Let me repeat that again. The Storehouse Principle, a revolutionary God idea for creating extraordinary financial stability by Al Jandel, J-A-N-D-L, and Van Couch, like a couch you sit on, from Word and Spirit Resources. Highly recommended. The Storehouse Principle is to practice saving. Financial freedom comes through financial discipline. Save money for emergencies, unexpected expenses, and save money for investment. This is one of the reasons for the great financial success in East Asia. It is estimated that people in East Asia put up to 20% of their income into savings and investment. Contrast that to the average Westerner who saves very little, maxes out the credit cards, and lives from paycheck to paycheck. What a drag. I never lived that way, and I don't intend to start. Even the nation of China understands its principle. It is estimated, at least at the time of this podcast, to have had $4 trillion, yes, trillion, dollars in the bank. That may have changed by now, but the last I heard, they were very good at saving. This has helped when the stock market did a downturn. Make saving a regular and consistent practice, because without the discipline of saving, it is impossible to achieve financial freedom. And then investment. Once you have saved a bit of money, don't let it rot at 0.25% interest. Invest the money. Normal means of investment are stocks, bonds, property. Now, of course, ask for advice from somebody who is experienced and honest. Don't be afraid to seek a mentor on this topic. Remember, the mentors came to me. God bless them. Somehow who has succeeded in this area rather than some armchair expert who knows the theory but has little to show for their advice. Learn to be a value shopper. Don't pay full price for anything. Shop around for bargains, ask for discounts, use coupons, know what the prices are. The old maxim holds true. A penny saved is a penny earned. Also, before you leave the store, do what the millionaires do. Check the receipt to make sure you have not been overcharged. And then work on what we call debt reduction. First, only go into debt for something that's worthwhile and will increase in value, like a home, property, or business. That said, make sure the debt you incur is affordable. I learned this from a multimillionaire, one of my mentors. He says, if you can't sleep at night because of the amount of your prospective loan, then don't get the loan. Now, we strongly recommend that you borrow for a home on one income rather than on two, even if you have two incomes at the time you apply for the loan. Circumstances change, and if one person loses their income, you'll not be under any stress. At the same time, do everything in your power to reduce debt. Paying a bit extra on your mortgage can shave thousands of dollars in repayment over the years, if available. In Australia, it has been available. I think it still is. Get a mortgage offset account that treats your mortgage as a transaction account. Put all your money that you get from your paycheck into the mortgage. And then, of course, write checks. Just live normally. But you'd be amazed. I've done it, the offset, and thousands were taken off my mortgage in just a matter of two or three years. It was incredible. So let me say it again. If available, get a mortgage offset account. If you are seriously in debt and don't know what to do, seek help. 
In the United Kingdom, there's a group called Christians Against Poverty, and they help provide debt counseling for people who are struggling financially, including insolvency and bankruptcy. Their URL is cap, C-A-P-U-K dot org. Cap, U-K, one word, org. And then remember the principle of multiple streams of income. Believe it or not, many professionals who you think have a high wage don't just live off their high wage. They have other streams of income besides their normal job, even if they have a good wage package. For some, the motivation may be greed, but for others, it's simply the necessity to make ends meet and to enlarge the family's opportunities. Hobbies can turn into dollars and pounds. Also, money can be made by blogging, the internet, simple petty capitalism, including outdoor markets. My family in the United Kingdom loves to go to car boot sales, where they buy items at a bargain and sell them on eBay for multiple times more. It's amazing what you can do. Remember Mary Kay Ash, founder of the multi-billion dollar cosmetic empire called Mary Kay Cosmetics, once quipped, and she's very good at this, innovate or evaporate. Let me say it again, Mary Kay Ash, innovate or evaporate. Now, Dave Ramsey, author of the best-selling book, Total Money Makeover, says that millionaires are intentional, they save, they invest, and they are generous, even before they get their millions. It takes time, 10, 15, 20 years, but consistency is the key. You don't have to be a millionaire, however, to enjoy financial freedom, which is a worthwhile goal. It will liberate you from worry, and once you conquer the worry and fear, you can focus on the rest of life. Never forget consistency and perseverance in money, time, and any kind of management is the key to financial freedom and a brighter future.